Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team, Pokemon Trading Card Games premiere podcasting duo. My name is Riley Holbert, joined, as always, by my good, good friend, Mr. J.W. Crewall. J.W., how's it going today? Pretty good, Riley. Looking forward to Toronto this weekend. I know. Toronto's always a lot of fun. It's cool. It's just a cool city to visit. Yeah, I really like Toronto. And the coolest thing about Toronto, I think, is that if I don't do well day one, I'll at least have the city to yes. you know, hang out in. And then also, um, Mushihira Arita is going to be there to sign cards. So I have a few <laughs> Charizard that I'm packing away that if I don't do well day one, I'll just You'll stay in line, line yeah. for a couple hours and get a, get a Siggy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I guess some poutine while you're there, things like that. Yeah, probably some poutine, probably some bacon, you know, some <laughs> Timmy Hortons. Yeah, you got to get the Tims for sure. Yeah, yeah. So. Excellent stuff. Yeah, I'm, I always enjoy Toronto. And one thing I think is really interesting as well, and we'll talk about, like, the meta for Toronto in the latter half of the cast, but one thing I think is really cool as well is Toronto is shaping up to be the biggest Pokemon tournament of all time. That's so crazy. Especially, like, when you think historically about, like, the Toronto yeah. Regional, it's mm-hmm. always one of the smaller ones, you know? Yeah, it's bizarre, too, because it's not in the United, United States. United States, yeah. It's, right. You need a passport like to get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're thinking about, you know, the majority of the player base might still be from Canada, but like there are a lot of internationals coming in for this. And yeah, it's crazy to think that Toronto of all places, like not, I don't know, St. Louis or some centralized um, city in the United States. I I would think like Peoria, you know, something like that where it's like, okay, you can get there from Chicago. You can get there from some central hub. Nah, Toronto. And then, of course, it's going to be eclipsed or, or is projected to be eclipsed by Arlington. And that's the next craziest thing is that it's going to further. immediately be followed up by what looks to be a bigger tournament um, in Arlington. And to some extent, Arlington is a little more central because it's right you know, it's right by the Dallas International Airport, which is such a, yeah. a large hub. It's pretty cheap to fly there. Yeah. Um, so a lot of exciting stuff in the Pokemon trading card game. People are really just amped up about the game this season. It's really cool to see. You know, I, I love the enthusiasm surrounding the game right now. Makes it a lot harder. I yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, so many people are really trying their hardest. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting as well, like in this post-online era, you get people with, like, you have these 1,200-person regionals, and every single person's coming with a good deck list. Yeah, Right, right. The net decking is, you know, by all means, like net deck uh, to your heart's content. I think that's a really good way, especially for a new player or an inexperienced player to feel like they aren't just getting blown out of the water before they even flip over their first card. So, yeah. you know, but you, yeah, it's it's crazy, right? Because when I first started playing, you'd have a couple rounds to kind of warm up a bit. You know, you had the theme decks, you had <laughs> just like the random meme decks, and that's becoming less and less the case, I feel like. I definitely agree. So this will be a really interesting set of tournaments. And it's also really interesting because this is certainly a a best deck, and a tier zero kind of deck format that we're working in right now. Uh, where there's one deck that kind of like is eclipsing all of them. Spoiler alert, it's, it's Lugia. <laughs> so yes. 
you know, I'm excited to see how this shapes up. I'm excited to see what people do to respond to LAIC's Lugia dominance. And, I mean, I think that's a great segue into just kind of rolling with the punches here. So, first things first, the Latin America Regional Championship, colloquially named the Lugia Archeops International Championship, has wrapped up as of this past Sunday. And Tord Reklev emerged victorious yet again, has now assembled the affinity gauntlet of all four international championships, getting a win in all of them. He actually hadn't really had a placement uh, of a particular note in LAIC prior to this. So being able to get that win, I'm sure it was huge for him. And finals was Lugia Mirror. So man, I think first things first before we go too deep into this, Tord Reklev emerging with the four ICs. Conversation that's been had for a while has been is toward the greatest of all time and really there's only one other person that you're you're talking about when you're talking about greatest of all time in pokemon and that's jason klasinski so jason klasinski with three-time world championship champion plenty of other accomplishments under his belt i mean he won nationals he won nationals he won multiple regionals yeah when i think about the greatest players of all time. I mean, it, it's certainly between those two. You look at the modern era, and I think a lot of people want to discount older players. You know, and a lot of this, oh, you know, towards the goat, towards the goat. There's certainly that discussion, but the the I, I really dislike the you know modern era uh, versus the the older era because I I think in a lot of ways the formats that Jason was playing through were much more skill intensive yeah. than the current formats. And that's not to take anything away from Tord because obviously we're only having this discussion because his accomplishments are insane and unbelievable and possibly never duplicated. Although, you know, you look at someone like Stefan who has a couple of IC wins himself, but I, I really just dislike the the old versus new because I think the newer game is a lot more streamlined. It's a lot more straightforward. Um, whereas if you look at the decks that Jason won with, you know, there was a lot of teching. There was a lot of one-ofs, generally speaking, in his lists. Um, whereas now I think the game is geared more toward, you know, consistency, yeah. four of, four of, four of, four of, four of. Again, not to take anything away, but I do feel like certainly the deck building aspect um, and the intricacy of the the matchups was was much higher in the past. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think there's a couple of, of factors that you're really weighing here, right? Like, first off, Jason does have the three world championships, of course. And, right. you know, just by, you know, raw accolade alone, that is hard to touch, right? With the three world championships... I mean, that's the crown, the crown achievement in Pokemon is to win the World Championship. Tor does not win the World Championship, though he has gotten pretty close. Um, on the flip side, uh, Tor has won much larger modern tournaments that will have, you know, like we've talked about, a higher percentage of the players are maybe coming more prepared for these tournaments than maybe they did in the past. One thing I don't like when you compare those, like, outright, though, is yeah, maybe the average player has improved over time, but I don't think like when you compare like great players of the past, yes. I don't think like it was hard. I don't think it was easier or harder for Jason to close the tournaments. You know, yeah, like maybe yeah. he was more likely to get there, which in of itself made him more likely to win the tournament. But like I don't think his you know his finals, his semifinals matches 
or just like cakewalks where everybody was crap at the game. You know? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, yeah, you look at some of these great players that he played in all of his, you know, worlds uh, rounds. And yeah, certainly maybe to get there. But I mean, it's like any tournament that I that we've ever talked about where you're not really competing against the masses for the most part. You're competing against the best 100, 200 players in any given tournament, right, that, that have a realistic shot at winning the entire thing. So when you look at the world championships, though, I mean, think of how many hours and, and how skilled his opponents were back then i think for him to win three is equal if not greater than you know winning the ics of today i i I really am a stan for jason and i grew up with him as kind of the gold standard of pokemon prowess yeah but there, there is. I mean, the more that Tord wins, the more we keep having this debate because it, it is really incredible the uh, the track record that he has in the modern era. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for that, and you know, I think that maybe the counterpoint that that I would give as, as sort of the devil's advocate there is you know, Tord is playing, and I also sometimes I wonder like if there's too much weight on the fact it is the world championship, like to some extent are some of the ICs of today just as competitive as a world championship. And mm-hmm. I think you could make that argument. Um, I think the other like counterpoint people give is, you know, maybe like exactly what I said earlier, like people didn't have access to all the same resources in 2006 and 2008, especially sure. um, that they do now, maybe 2013 that approaches sort of the modern era. Um, I think what Jason really demonstrated, though, is that sort of longevity of success where, you know, he his first world win was 2006, which is a much beloved format, I'll add as well. Very skill intensive format. And that he won three world championships over very different formats and different time periods, whereas Torrid is kind of I feel like his calling card is the very streamlined deck strategy that's almost taken over the card game. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, the counter argument for Torrid, I think, though, is, is these tournaments are so large, so massive. He's playing more rounds to win yeah, them. Yeah, you, know, you just think, I mean, it, it's curious, like, you just running the numbers uh, on just him at random winning these tournaments, right? Because yeah. to some degree, there is a randomness about it. And it's just astronomically high or low, I should say. Unlikely, the, yeah. the, the probability of him, you know, winning for these, right? Much less... Um, you know, even one, right? It's it's quite impressive. And I think you also have to factor in the things that Tord maybe didn't win the whole tournament, but he's gone super far. Not only does he have a slew of like, you know, regionals and special events where he's either won or made top eight or or finals or what have you, um, but he also has just so many so many tournaments in the modern era under his belt, right? Where he's yeah. he's made it far. He got that top four at the World Championship. Yeah. a couple of years back prior to the pandemic. So I feel like Tord does have the accolades to to really give a, a solid fight to Jason. And I actually do think, like, with the with his top four worlds and the fourth IC, I think you can make a pretty solid case for Tord actually being the best. I'd be really excited to, like, have them play a best of... 21 best of 101 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think that'd be pretty funny but in any case let us know who do you think toward 
Jason, someone else. I don't I don't really think anyone else can come close, but <laughs> I guess that's a debate for another time. JW so. Crewall. Yeah, JW Crewall. Yeah, there's some people that are kind of floating in contention. You that's, know, JW is <laughs> up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, I don't want to I don't want to toot my own horn. You know, I've only ever been to one international, so you know, if maybe if I went to a few more, I'd probably win a few. Now, more. How did you, how did you do at that international? Yeah, like one three drop. Okay. <laughs> well, that's a starting point, though. Yeah, well, I, it, it's hard to get much worse. Right, and you did pick up a win on the way. I did, yes. I was very so, I mean, let's not let's not discount let's that. Let's not discount the win, exactly. <laughs> I, was pretty, I was pretty close, really. So, that's not all we have to talk about today. We're going to cover <laughs> what happened at the Latin American International Championships. And then, on the second half of the cast, we're going to talk a little bit about everyone's favorite deck, Lugia, and the Toronto meta prediction. So let's get right into it. LAIC was this last weekend, obviously won by Tord Reclive. And the big story, I mean, we knew Lugia was going to be good, but the big story from the weekend was just how dominant Lugia was. We all kind of thought, okay, Lugia is going to be good. It's a tier one deck without a doubt. It's kind of everyone's uh, either top pick or they need to be prepared for it. And I think... Everyone, not to say they defaulted to it, because it has just kind of proven to be the best deck in the format, a, a tier S deck that uh, the likes of which we haven't seen in quite a bit of time. Yeah, I mean, I think the only deck that's really come close to this was Mew in, um, I forget the, the regional championship from way back earlier this year, but when Mew was really dominating over in Australia at the start of this past season, that's like the only thing that's maybe comparable. I think the difference though is Mew was much more straightforward to counter it between Path to the Peak and the Dark type attackers. You had a lot of options to kind of offset that. Yeah. Whereas Lugia, it's much less straightforward to just immediately outright trade with because it has access to the Dunsparce, because it's a two prize Pokemon instead of a three prize Pokemon. Uh, things like that that you know cumulatively add up to Lugia being a much harder deck to deal with. So. Yeah. I mean, Lugia occupied, it was six, I believe, of the top eight, and 13 of the top 16. Uh, and 22 of the top 32. I mean, it was a demolition by Lugia. Just absolutely ran through the entire event. I don't think we, we all knew it was good, but I don't think we thought it was this good and just absolutely dominating. And I mean, it's... You know, in retrospect, again, it's like not really that hard to see why we were all hype on the Aurora build, and that version just has so many answers to anything your opponent could throw up. And in fact, I would go so far as to say Lugia is the best single prize deck in the format. Which <laughs> it's is definitely just up there. Say, right? Yeah, and what I think is interesting as well is Lugia wasn't. 75% of the metagame at large. It was 75% of the top 8. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was like 75% of the top 16. So Lugia was congregate. You know, we talked about how Reggie's at Salt Lake City kind of congregated at the top tables and was very overrepresented. Lugia was the most popular deck, but even then, it was severely overrepresented at the top tables of this tournament. So not only is Lugia the most popular deck, it is defining itself as the best deck because it's winning consistently in those circumstances, right? Like, it is climbing yeah. to those top tables, getting those top placements beyond how popular it was at the tournament. 
Yeah, pretty crazy, pretty crazy. So we also saw a couple other decks do, I, I don't even know if you, like, they did well, but like in comparison, like, I don't know, you know, as a whole, um, <laughs> not not as exciting of placements as Lugia, but uh, obviously Grant Manley with uh, his Kyogre Lost Zone box getting third. And then Sander Wojcik again in the conversation with his control deck coming in at fifth, which felt a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, given that he probably faced, you know, seven, eight Lugias throughout the day and, and probably beat everyone until facing off against Tord. Sander was the top seed heading into top eight, fortunately losing to Lugia and, you know. He did win game one. <laughs> and Game you know, two, game two, I think. I think it was game one. Oh, it was game one, okay. Um, regardless, though, it's the classic story of, of stall in time where, you know, Sander... Had a, a flub game that he lost. He had the one long game that he won. And then the time rules really favor the attacking decks and not mm -hmm. the stall decks. So Torb was able to take an advantage on prizes before Sander could really do enough. And, you know, ultimately went on to win the match because in top cut there has to be a winner. There's no tie. Yeah, exactly. So and I think that Sander, like, consistently kind of runs into that problem in top cut you know he plays a lot of these even amongst stall i would say he has like grindier stall strategies mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it's not like an aggressive form of, of stall it's like milling your opponent's deck it's you know i'm going to you know remove all your resources and i'm gonna like effectively pass until someone wins yeah yeah exactly exactly so just really, I was disappointed because I think, you know, Sander gets very close with these decks and they always seem so strong for the meta and just comes up a little bit short at the end, which it's just, you know, you're, you're really pulling for him for sure. We also saw uh, Ryan Antonucci at 12th place with the Mew Genesect deck and then Azul Garcia Griego, another uh, familiar face playing the same list as Grant, got 15th. But other than that... Top 16 All was Lugia. entirely Lugia. Yeah, 12 out of those 16 were Lugia. It's, it's just complete dominance. That's a slaughter. I, it really is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think back to, like, the trash alanche days to try to think back to a metagame. Yeah, I mean, the, the most comparable dominance. modern event, at least, was trash alanche at, at, at Seattle, I believe, mm -hmm. that year. And even then, Trashlanch to some extent was a little overinflated because people were not respecting the strategy yet, mm -hmm. right? So people were playing like crazy with their item cards in a way that they didn't at the closing of that format. Trashlanch was still good. It was probably still the best deck. But, you know, it had kind of that metagame benefit where people just didn't know how to play around it. Yeah. Lugia, I don't think, has that quite same situation. It's just such a overtly strong deck you know you're not relying on your opponent to do anything for you <laughs> you're just yeah. blasting them and, and they either got it or they don't yeah yeah it's pretty crazy um what what are we looking at here with uh with the international are we just thinking that a lot of players went with the safe route of lugia um how do you think players were approaching their decks heading into the tournament. I mean, we didn't really see a lot of variance. Um, and even amongst the, the Lugia decks, uh, 
there wasn't a ton of variant. Like, there were maybe three to four cards difference, but you weren't seeing Lugia decks that were, you know, kind of completely uh, antithetical to other Lugia decks. They were all largely Aurora-based. They all had pretty similar counts of attackers. Most of them included a lot of the same techs. So I, I'm curious, uh, asking you, Riley, like, how do you think players approached building their Lugia decks for LEIC? I mean, to answer your first question, like, whether they, like, just played it safe or or if uh, they, like, really just reached the conclusion that Lugia was, was the absolute best player for the tournament, I think, I think it's honestly more of the latter. I think when you look at, at ICs in particular, that's where you almost want to take the risk to try and win it all. You know, those are the largest stake tournaments besides Worlds any given year. Yeah. And so sure. I think if people had some sauce that they were cooking and they believed in, they would bring it. You know, if people had... Yeah, there's this... no reason to hide it. Right. Like, what are you going to do? Bring it to Toronto <laughs> instead? <laughs> like, no, play to LAIC, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't think at least the testing groups who are present at LAIC were confident enough in any of their other strategies if they had them. Yeah. Um, and I think ultimately when you look at Lugia, you sort of reach the conclusions that we did in the podcast last week where Aurora Lugia just has the most options and it has really effective single prize attackers, which sets it a, a step above any other deck in the Lugia sort of archetype. Um, so that's kind of the logical starting point. And then you start to branch out with the text from there. We talked about a lot of the text even last week, you know, things like the Zekrom or the amazing Raikou, things like that. And I think when you test those texts, you ultimately find that they're not very effective if you play a combination of, of Dunsparce and Manaphy. So you start to slot those in. And then at that point, you realize, okay, I might as well just attack with Eveltal and Charizard the whole game then if everybody's going to be on this same page. So everybody ends up at like that structure is my assumption for for why that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are two of the, if not the two best single prize attackers in the game in Eveltal and Charizard. So it's no wonder that you know you're seeing all these Aurora based builds include both. And then of course we had the text of Manaphy, Dunsparce making their way into most of these decks. Um, Stoutland. I think was Stalin was very very popular yeah very very popular so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about kind of the optimal Lugia list kind of what we might play heading into Toronto in the second half of the cast but um, you know other than that you know you're looking at viable decks Lost Zone Boxes made a pretty decent showing Kyogre was interesting and it's just unfortunate that the Lugia players kind of recognized okay Manaphy's good. Okay, Dunsparce is good. Okay, also Stoutland is good. And those are kind of three really um, gatekeeping cards <laughs> for Lost Box. And then in combination can be really hard to deal with. Yeah, and the combination of, of at least Manaphy and Dunsparce is also really annoying for Regis, for example. It's just uh, you know, it's a dangerous combo. I, I'm kind of the opinion that Dunsparce should have never been printed, personally. But... Um, that's neither yeah. here nor there. Well, but then how would uh, how would Arceus have done so well? I wouldn't have minded if it didn't. How would how would Lugia just be destroying if Dunsparce wasn't a thing? 
I don't know, man. Maybe it's a question we don't need to answer. <laughs> like maybe it's fine if they <laughs> if they aren't the best decks, <laughs> or they're like counterable. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, GW, I think it's time to go ahead and jump with the card of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've been getting a lot of leaks from the V-Star universe, which I I said before I saw the cards, I'm like, you know what? This is going to be the first set that I try to get a master set of. And I think I'm regretting my choice after seeing some of this beautiful artwork <laughs> come out. I mean, it's gorgeous. Don't get me wrong, but these secret rares, they're super gold and very detailed and really unlike a lot of cards that we've ever seen before i mean they're just very unique and original and my wallet hurts but preemptively preemptively hurts but it reminds me of back in the this you know phantom forces set came out and they it had this one really cool card and it was again unlike anything that i had ever seen before because it was all one color and that was so oh, new. Yeah. It was a full art, but it was all one color. And I was like, wow, that's so crazy. <laughs> like, I didn't even know that a Pokemon card could look like this. Like, it looks like a piece of metal. looks <laughs> like your credit card. Just swipe that at the Target <laughs> when you buy your gummy bears. And that card, of course, is Dialga EX. It reminded me of seeing the new Dialga the gold one, I was like, man, oh, this silver Dialga EX, how fun is that? That was such a fun, interesting, cool card back in the And day. it was kind of like a trailblazer for that, whereas now I feel like you know, we're kind of used to the the solid gold cards. Yeah, I mean, and certainly you had, you had some other things. I mean, you had like Reshiram and Zekrom that got their kind of full white or full black treatment or um you know there there were a few other but those weren't like true monochrome either yeah no this dialogue was so cool i remember just like being wow this is so and it's so plain too that's kind of the fun exactly like it's it's monochrome (laughs) yeah no no exactly exactly it's monochrome very boring no real background to it it's just this this sheet of silver (laughs) got a couple of attacks dialogue ex I feel like I may have played it in a deck once, but I can't remember why. But the first attack, Chrono Wind, if the defending Pokemon is a Pokemon EX, it can't attack during your opponent's next turn. And then Full Metal Impact, 150 is the second attack for two metal and two colorless. Discard two energy attached to this Pokemon. I probably played it in some league. Like a Bronzong uh, deck. Bronzong deck, exactly. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, never got the chance to snag any. I, again, it's one of those cards that I really wish I had picked up back in the day because it was probably twenty bucks. It was know, less than that. Bucks. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because now it's about a hundred dollars. So. Oh <laughs> Yeah, that was like a fourteen dollar card. Uh, yeah, definitely solidly a hundred dollars. So. <laughs> That's funny. Yep. Was there? I feel like there weren't even any other cards quite like that for like all of x and y either it was just it was just like a one-off thing that they did well and that was the weird thing too is like we were all kind of expecting a palkia as well uh, pokemon does this weird thing where they don't always print kind of a mirror of the partner pokemon 
So we never saw Palkia get this monochrome treatment, and that was unusual. But there were a Zekrom. I think Zekrom also got like a monochrome as well. Really? I, I think so. I'll, I'll look it up here. But <laughs> Okay. Well, that's, that's a really good choice. Yeah, it got the, the, the golds. The golds, remember? The golds? The gold guys. I don't remember. What's that? Yeah, Zekrom and Reshiram in Legendary Treasures. They got the straight gold. Oh, I do remember those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. That was the same art as the, the black and white ones, right? Like the ones that were pure, like, pure, oh, quote-unquote, black. And the... Yeah, it could have been. I don't remember exactly, but it certainly could have been. Okay. So, there you go. Very nice. <laughs> I like the choice. Dayagi EX from Phantom Forces. Who doesn't love it? Secret Rare. So good. And that was before, that was in the before times when, like, there weren't a million Secret Rares in every mm-hmm. set. Yep, yep. To get one of those was, man, chef's kiss. Oh. Well, GW, before we jump into the Toronto meta, I think it's only fair that we thank our sponsor for this episode, which, of course, is going to be Manscaped. So if you haven't already gotten your Black Friday deals, your Cyber Monday deals, I can't think of a better gift for your significant others, your friends, than some Manscaped merchandise. JW and I have both used very liberally our Manscaped products. I personally love their boxers and their shavers. JW is a huge fan of the ear and nose hair trimmers. And everything's really top of the line, be it you know, body washes, clothing items, you know, shavers, all of it's super, super good. And the really cool thing is you can get a discount if you use our code at checkout. So Jamie, why don't you tell them a little bit more about Manscaped? Yeah, absolutely. Manscaped, great, great products. They make you feel good and they look amazing as a gift. I, I don't want to downplay that. The packaging they come in is really sleek makes a really nice gift for yourself or someone you love so this christmas time rolling in you're probably listening to this in december so it's time to start thinking about what you're going to get your significant other or your dad or you know again maybe treat yourself so this christmas deck the halls and trim those balls with manscaped head on over to manscaped.com use code tag team at checkout that'll get you 20 percent off plus free shipping code tag team at checkout for 20 percent off and free shipping. Got a nice package to take care of your package with Manscaped. Thank you so much for sponsoring the cast. All right. Toronto. Just a few short days away from JW and I playing Toronto as of recording this podcast. So we're going to talk about Lugia. We're going to talk about Lugia counters, and then we're going to talk about what other decks kind of can hang in the mix here. So let's just start with what everyone's here for, and that's going to be Lugia itself. JW, Lugia completely dominated LAIC like we were talking about. How do we optimize Lugia in a post-LAIC world heading into Toronto? What are the cuts? What are the what are the additions? Do you just rock the same 60? What what is the feeling right now? Yeah, a lot of a lot of aspects of Tord's list and and his uh you know, testing team. I know Henry played the same list. Uh, Henry Brand played the same list um, and, and a few other players at LAIC. But one of the aspects of that list that I really like is the four capture energy. 
Um, and it just makes a ton of sense in that deck, right? You're not playing Battle VIP Pass. Um, you're, you're, you're looking for the ball cards, not only to get out your Pokemon, but also to discard the Archeops. So it just makes way more sense instead of playing Battle VIP Pass to be playing uh, four Quick Ball and four Ultra Ball. And in supplementation of that, playing the uh, capture energy to get out your Pokemon. I, I really, really appreciate that about the list, and I think it's uh, it's very important. One thing I'll call thing... out as well, uh, before What's we go that? too deep, is you know, the capture energy is also kind of like a playmaking card. So, you know, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. Lugia gets knocked out, and you want to pivot into one of your single prize attackers. You know, you promote the Archeops, you capture energy it, you put the Charizard on the bench, you power it up with the Archeops, and now you retreat okay. with the one energy just attached. So it's just like... A, just an obvious like good card in Lugia. Yeah, totally. And there are certain scenarios where you maybe don't want to bench things too early. Um, you know, if you're you really need the Eveltal to pop off on something your opponent has, and you don't want that Pokemon to come out until the turn that it needs to come out, then yeah, that's like a fantastic play. And Capture just helps to make that happen. Um, one deficiency from in my eyes, if I were to play Lugia heading forward, would be only playing the two choice belts. So two choice belt from Tord's list. I think I try to bump that up to three. I do feel like three, especially in the mirror match, is going to be a big difference maker because it allows you to chase that 280 a little bit easier with both the Charizard and also your own Lugia. And then it gets a little bit dicey if they happen to play things like V-Guard energy um, but still, the choice belts help you reach those higher numbers uh, in the mirror match, especially. Yeah, and you referenced the V-Guard energy. We were talking a little bit before the cast about where V-Guard energy fits in the grand scheme of things. How about you reference that a little bit, too? Yeah, so the V-Guard energy, I think players are thinking, well, just play one V-Guard energy, and that way I can slap it on a Lugia and maybe my opponent doesn't get the knockout, you know, in the mirror. Maybe they just have to swing into a Lugia and then I can uh, take the advantage and knock them out and, you know, get ahead on prizes and just win the game that way. I have not been the biggest fan of V-Guard energy in my testing. Um, first of all, because I've, you know, found that, well, it's really hard to justify any cuts to any other special energy other than capture energy. And again, going back to what I was talking about at the uh, beginning of the segment, I really would not advise cutting capture energies. But the V-Guard energy, I, I find in the mirror, is not as impactful as I would imagine it to be on paper, because, first of all, your opponent could just bust right through it with a Charizard or an Eveltal, right? If they attack with either of those Pokemon, then the V-Guard energy doesn't do the minus 30 damage reduction. They could go around it with one of the four Gust in the deck. You have obviously two Serena, two Boss. You know that your your mileage may vary on those counts there, but you know one to or excuse me three to four gusting cards, and then you maybe also play a Luminion to fetch that when you would need it. So you get around it if you have a Lugia that you're trying to attack with, and then you know maybe you take out the the V guarded Lugia of their own with an Eveltal or Charizard later. Um, or you could just blast right through it if you commit your powerful energies. 
to the Lugia. Lugia does base 220. You commit enough powerful energies plus a choice belt of your own. You can just smack right through that like it wasn't even there. So with all the different options to get around the V-Guard energy, it just hasn't felt as impactful. You could make an argument that it's decent in the Mew matchup. I think there's a case to be made there, but I don't think it swings the matchup more um, <laughs> towards Lugia because Mew is again probably gusting around you and um, you know trying to echoing horn up your things and they're certainly targeting down your Lugias on the bench or your Luminions that you played down early to get rolling so I, I just don't find that it's that impactful of a card. Yeah I think the one in my opinion the one truly impactful and guaranteed I guess situation for the V-Guard energy is in the in the Lugia Mirror, if you can get it on an Eveltal, um, it makes it so they can't Aqua return it for a knockout. They have to use some other attacker, which could maybe burn the resources or force them to keep a Luminion in play for an extra turn. That's like the one use case. But even then, that means you're attaching five individual energy to the Eveltal, which can be a really big hurt on your resources, <laughs> right? You really want to you really want to get the double turbo on the Eveltal. Uh, instead of having five individual energies on it. Oh, totally. Uh, especially because other Pokemon would rather not have to attach the double turbo and reduce their damage, whereas Evelta has no consequence for it. Um, so that's like the one, I think, real play that you can get out of it, um, which is a, a valid one, but I don't think it's like game-changing either. Let's talk a little bit about the single prizers. There's a bevy of single prizers, both attackers and support Pokemon that you can play in the list. Let's talk about the support Pokemon first. A lot of lists we saw from LAIC played at least one of, if not both, the combination of Manaphy and Dunsparce. Do you feel like that's going to be the case moving forward? I think you... My opinion on those cards is you might as well, almost. Um, just because... The matchups where they show up, they show up so hard, right? And having both of them together is almost what makes them work. Like, all the decks that are going to hit you for weakness, almost all of them are just going to hit the bench as well. Uh, so having the Dunsparce protection plan is really good. Uh, and it also shields you against, like, gimmicky counters in a mirror match or against other random decks. You know, it, it prevents the Raikou from being nearly as threatening, uh, the Raikou V prevents like goofy single prizers uh, like the Amazing Raikou or the Zerora from taking knockouts. It just seems really good to me. I, I don't know. Especially now that Lugia is won, it feels like people will be thirsty to try counter cards. So why not be like a step ahead of them and continue to counter the counters? Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I think when we talk about support Pokemon, we can't overlook our typical like V draw support Pokemon. We have you know, two yeah, main offenders in Crobat and Luminion. Uh, we saw Luminion showed up big, you know, the the finalist list had two Luminions in it, which was yeah. really nice. I think that's cool. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and then and then Crobat's obviously a great draw card. And what are we feeling on the counts on those? I'm actually really enjoying the two Luminion. Well it's a Decent attacker in the mirror and also against Lost Box. You think about in the mirror where they promote the Charizard, and that's just the prime opportunity for a Lugia, but, or excuse me, for a Luminion. But you can also take knockouts on 
the opponent's Dunsparce if they happen to start it, the opponent's Manaphy if they happen any to start Veltal. it. Any uh, Any Veltal, right. Yeah, do, uh, do 120 there. So it has a lot of versatility there in the mirror. I think two is not terrible. I, you know, I, that would be something that I would consider. I think you probably at least have um, a Luminion and a Crobat to try to draw those extra cards. But yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the second copy as I've been playing with it more. It just opens up a lot of cool plays. First, I, I think, like you referenced, Luminion's a great pseudo one-prize attacker Yeah. where you can get the benefit of its ability and then get rid of it to promote a one-prizer. Uh, so that's awesome in of itself. It also preserves your energy, which is super valuable in the Lugia deck because you can burn through them if you're not careful. Um, and when you do that, it opens you up to continuing to use that ability, right? You can you can use Luminion Search to get the boss on the turn you need it, followed up by Serena on the next turn, um, or a Marnie followed up by a boss. Uh, like those plays open up of repeated guaranteed supporter search when you chain those Luminions together and having two like opens up that door that much wider to open yep. doing those plays. Oh, totally. Totally. I think that's a really, really underrated point about Luminion because other than Luminion and your prizes and your top deck for the turn, you know, there, there's not a lot of ways to, uh, you know, dig through your deck, right? So you want to be always able to have the supporter that you want at any given point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you had the there. same experience, but I have this all the time where some games with Lugia, you, you get the Archeops out, you get everything going, and then you end up kind of stunlocked, yeah. where you just, like, can't really dig any farther. Yeah, 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 <laughs> You're yeah, just not yeah. drawing the Marnie or the Research or whatever. Yeah. You maybe have some ball cards, but you can't go any farther. And having access to two Luminion to continue to make the plays happen while attacking with Aqua Return, just just kiss. It's awesome. So good, so good. Um, any other any other cards you'd think about for for Lugia? I know that there's been some. Well, some players at LAIC played a Raikou. Would you consider playing Raikou at Amazing Raikou? Yeah, Amazing Rare Raikou at Toronto. Honestly, I probably wouldn't because. I think a lot of Lugias are going to play Dunsparce, and I think the other decks where Raikou gets value, they're just going to get a Manaphy down uh, if they smell that you play it at all, so you kind of have to surprise them. So it's like a one-game-per-match type of card, if that. Hmm. And I don't know if it's worth the deck spot. The last attacker that I want to talk about is Stoutland. We were pretty big on Stoutland heading into the event, and most of the top lists did play Stoutland. So I think that was a big win for us there. Um, going forward, do you see Stoutland's play ever decrease? I think it's a great answer uh, to Lost Box. Well, so. I think Lost Box continues to be like a fan favorite deck, and it's sort of the the I don't I don't want to say poor man because that's not what it is. But like the person who doesn't want to play Lugia, they're probably gravitating towards Lost Box as like their their next deck. Yeah. So it feels like Stoutland is a worthy inclusion. I wouldn't necessarily fault someone, I guess, if they if they opted out of it, but I would probably play it myself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My last question on Lugia, before we yeah. move on to counters. Lost Vacuum versus Collapse Stadium counts. Where do you land on that spectrum? I think I'd rather have more Lost Stadium. 
than, or, or excuse me, uh, <laughs> <laughs> playing play both sides here. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my answer. I'd rather have more lost stadium. Um, I'd rather have more lost vacuum than lost stadium. And so essentially if we're assuming that <laughs> you said you lost stadium home, again, what lost vacuum, then collapse stadium. There you oh go. my gosh. All right. We got it. And we'll edit that in post. Um, I'd rather have more lost vacuum. So if you're devoting three slots to quote unquote counter stadiums, you have one slot goes to the pump kaboo and you're deciding, should I go one collapse stadium? one lost vacuum or two lost vacuum or two collapse stadium. I would rather play the two lost vacuum. I think in the mirror, again, we talk about the choice belt being a very big part of the mirror. I think the second lost vacuum gives you the ability to, if your opponent has to play one down too early, just get that out of there and, uh, and potentially save you from, you know, from losing that match because they were able to take those two prizes. So that's kind of where I would be. I obviously understand why a collapse stadium would be good. You could bump a Lugia or, you know, another support Pokemon off the bench that maybe is damaged or, or maybe a Luminion that you don't want your opponent to knock out. But um, I think for me, I'd rather have the two lost vacuum. I feel like that is a little more versatile. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said as well. I agree with everything that you said. I think there's also something to be said where, um, where a collapsed stadium, let's say you you draw collapsed and that's your stadium bump for a path to the peak on turn two. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you're very oppressed in in your bench space, right? Yeah. Where if you play another attacker as a support Pokemon, you're done. That's right. it. So hopefully you don't need to draw a crow off a Crobat off of the off of your research or whatever because you're not gonna be able to get two arc gaps in play. Yeah. Whereas a lost vacuum like guarantees that you can keep churning to the best of your ability like you would any other game. Again, I there's the obvious value of being able to bump a useless V with Collapse Stadium, but I think lost vacuum will just more consistently add value to your deck. I'm down with it. So let's talk a little bit about how to counter Lugia. It's the big deck. Heading into Toronto, I think a lot of players are going to try some really wacky things. Um, but I think it's fair to do so. When we look at what I, I would predict the meta to be, I think it could be as high as 40% of the field playing Lugia. That Again, that might be a little high, but it certainly is not going to be less than a quarter of the metagame. Yeah. So when you have a deck that's so good, that's very difficult to counter with kind of any inherent list that we've seen. I mean, there's no real... You know, it's hard to get it with weakness because they have the Dunsparce. Um, you know, it's hard to, like, spread damage because of the Mana Fee. It's hard to knock out two Archeops just in general because they have so much HP. Um, you know, the main Pokemon, you know, it's hard to stick them with Path because there's enough counters. There's Pumpkaboo, and, and obviously Lugia can, can take out Paths by itself. So there's just a lot of things about the deck that make it really hard to be countered. That said... You got to think that a lot of players are racking their brains. How do I counter Lugia? And if I can <laughs> unlock the counter to Lugia, I'm probably going to have a pretty good day over the weekend. So what do you think, Riley, as you look at decks, what do you think people should be playing if they know that they're not going to be playing Lugia? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at pure counters, something like Sanders' stall deck is is probably the best sort of most straightforward counter deck that there is. It deals really effectively with Lugia's energy attachments. It pressures them in multiple different ways with the combination of the Sydney and the Flannery and the Veltal and the Mill Tank. It's all, there's just so many things that are kind of banging on Lugia's door that eventually overwhelms them, you know, bar any bad starts. Mm-hmm. The only thing is, you know, these decks can be somewhat difficult to execute consistently and successfully. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're leading up to Toronto, please get your reps in before you consider Stahl as, as your viable choice. Yeah. Um, though I do think we've seen kind of a, like a Stahl renaissance, I guess. We've seen the community kind of open up to Stahl as a deck to play for tournaments in a way they haven't before. You know, I think of the World Championships day one. Mewtwo Stall was everywhere. It was mm-hmm. such a popular deck. Um, and that's just, like, would be unheard of oh, a few years ago. So certainly Stall is, like, a great straightforward Lugia counter. Sanders a genius <laughs> with his decks. I would make sure you continue to innovate on it. I think one thing that Sander does really well is he brings the right Stall deck to every event right like he modifies his decks iteratively for every single event that he goes to so consider that if you don't probably just net deck sander 60 um, but stall seems like a pretty good anti-lugia option and i think we have like two main buckets although you can divide one in a sub bucket of other top tier decks mm-hmm. i think the first one is mew you know mew is a just so consistent, and it's actually the best abuser of Path to the Peak, which is just so bizarre. Uh, and Path can randomly win you games against Lugia, much the same as it could versus Mew. Um, the only difference is you can't really stick Lugia with a Path mid-game in the same way that you could versus Mew. You kind of have to get it right away, yeah. which is also why Mew becomes the best abuser of it, because it's most likely to draw it on the first on turn. first turn. Um, so I think Mew is, is is fairly viable. You know, we look at the online stats, and Mew versus Lugia is fairly even. Um, so if you're looking to take a decent matchup versus Lugia and maybe uh, be a, a less considered force in the field at large, Mew seems like a viable choice. And then I think the other pillar of the metagame is going to be the Lost Zone, right? And really, when I say that, I think of one prize loss zone decks. I think your team has kind of been bullied out um, of the meta because it doesn't really deal with one prize attackers as efficiently as the one prize loss zone decks. So we're really looking at the loss zone toolboxes with either Amazing Rayquaza or Kyogre, or we're looking like a more traditional return to form where you have the loss box with the Charizard and the Sableye. Yeah. So... I, I list a lot of decks. JW, what are some of your thoughts on, on those options? Yeah, it's so interesting to think about the remnants <laughs> of non-Lugia, right? Lugia is so much of a form. R.I.P. Palkia. Yeah. Oh, dude, Palkia. R.I.P. Giratina. I mean, you look at those just as format ago. R.I.P. Arceus. You know, yeah, Arceus, right? Like, every single set that comes out, like, these were all decks that we were like, oh my gosh, this is so broken. Arceus, so broken. Oh my gosh, Palkia, so broken. Oh my gosh, Giratina, so broken. Oh my gosh, Mew, so broken. And then now we have the next biggest thing. So, but this is, I don't know, the... (laughs) 
Lugia has just um, shifted things so much because I think even the decks that try to counter it don't do a great job. You look at Lost Zone Box. Um, in Lost Zone Box, you could play Raikou, um, which may or may not do anything because, again, the Dunsparce. Uh, they could also get a quick Stoutland up, and if they take two Comfes out with that Stoutland before you have an answer, then you're in deep doo-doo. You could try to go for a Kyogre Strat, but there's the Mana Fee. You know, there's just all of these things working against you as a Lost Box player. The Rayquaza strategy, that's interesting. That's probably my favorite way to play the Lost Zone decks, but there's still ways for Lugia to win that matchup because they can throw so many one prizers at you. And that's where it gets really scary because an Archaeops into your field, for the most part, is very hard to deal with. You know, you could go in with a Rayquaza and, you know, you think about what you need to power that. You might need an energy attachment from hand. You might need a Raihan. You might need a, um, well, you certainly will need a, um, Mirage Gate. Uh, a Mirage Gate. So it's like so many resources to take a one prize knockout on an Archaeops, you know, and that's where it gets kind of funky because as I was saying earlier, in a lot of ways, Lugia is the best one prize attacking deck out there because they have these high HP support Pokemon that can also in the right matchups attack. So that's where it gets a little bit troublesome for the lost prize box player. You just need all these cards turn after turn. The Raihans, the Mirage Gates, the energy attachments, the Pokemon themselves. That <laughs> with a good Marnie from a Lugia player and enough one prizers, they can sometimes pull off the win. Now, I will say it's from my testing, it's been a little more favored for the lost box player, the, the Rayquaza deck specifically, but. I, I could be persuaded that, you know, the the strategies that my Lugia opponents have used were not the best. So it's it's really, really tough out there, man. I, I'm trying to think of, like, again, racking my brain, like, what is better than this Lugia deck? And it's so hard to come up with something. Yeah, I, I think it's also interesting that we're seeing a return to form with the last box Charizard sort of deck. Um, you know, it will need to make some adjustments, namely because Stoutland is such a huge threat. Um, but that's just such a straightforward sort of Lost Zone deck that it's very favored in sort of the Lost Zone mirrors. Um, whereas the the Lost Zone Toolbox deck just has a lot of go stuff going on, <laughs> which can make it a little bit harder to execute your strategy reliably game to game. I'm what glad to see that you've come to the Rayquaza camp, though. Yeah, I, I'm there. I mean, I really like Kyogre. I really, really do, but it just kind of felt um, it. the The biggest problem with the lost prize, lost box decks, <laughs> is that they don't have an answer to an early Stoutland, and that's the hardest thing. So you see some players play a that Snorlax is. and a Choice Belt, and that's just not a good answer because it's not guaranteed that you're going to see the Choice Belt on the turn that you need it. You can realistically, you know, rely on the Snorlax getting you there, but you can't rely on the Choice Belt. And that's the toughest thing because, you know, being 30 damage off, I mean, they're just going to take another two prizes on a Comfy or something. So that makes it really tough. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of bleak out there. There's also, you know, I've seen some talk about Duraludon. I'm 
not impressed. If you are even thinking about Duraludon, you should check out the Duraludon versus Lugia stream game from LAIC and promptly reconsider your life choices. Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, I'll make the call to the to the asylum and have you locked up forever because <laughs> forever. <laughs> <laughs> There's no getting out if you even yeah. consider playing around. Yeah. So just let me know. Let me know if that's you, and uh, and we'll get you taken I'm, care of. Yeah. I'll make sure they're on their way. <laughs> you heard it here first. But it, and it's like it's really funny, right? Because you think of oh man, um, a, a deck that blocks special energy. Oh man, a deck that only plays special energy. Surely I'll have a good matchup. And it's just not the case. So that's what makes Lugia so hard. There are so many ways to get around its counters. Um, that yeah, again, clearly a tier zero deck. Any decks, Riley, that you're looking forward to testing in these last couple days leading up to the uh, Toronto Regional Championship? That you think, okay, maybe this has a decent enough Lugia matchup that I could ship. I mean, right now I'm basically between uh, playing a Lost Zone deck and sucking it up and playing Lugia, and yeah. I don't feel horrible about that. I just, I just wish that I was like one level deeper in the sauce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think you can trust LAIC results to an extent, right? We saw players. I mean, nobody's gonna try to hide things, and I think if you're going overseas, you. <laughs> You know, you, you better have... You bring your sauce with you. Yeah, you you better have your ducks in a row, right? And so, you know, surely there could be somebody that comes up with some crazy deck, some counter deck for Toronto that we haven't seen, um, or some variant of a stall deck that, uh, you know, we haven't seen. And I would welcome that. I really yeah, would. Yeah, and, and that would be good. But on the most part, you know, for, on the whole, you probably have 900 of the 1,000 other players working off largely the same information, um, that players went into LAIC with. So yeah, I don't expect too much to change. All that said, I expect Lugia to still dominate at unprecedented levels <laughs> and uh, really kind of stamp out a lot of its own counters. Let me ask you this. Do you think Lugia will win the Toronto Regional Championship? That's an interesting question, right? Because if I'm considering not playing Lugia and I say yes Lugia will win let's say if you're not play, let's say you're not playing in the tournament yourself even. Um, yeah. yeah I mean my money would be on Lugia right you got to think it's going to be somewhere between a quarter to two fifths of the field so with that amount of play and just how dominant it was the money's got to be on Lugia yeah, although you you probably wouldn't get a super high payout for betting on Lugia. The odds are it's probably super stacked. That's true, that's true. Yeah, if you, if you want the payout, you got to put it all on Arceus Gudra. Many people are saying this. You know, you put a dollar on Arceus Gudra, you're getting $10,000 back. I might take that. Maybe worth it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat, I think, you know, statistically, and just based on the power level, Lugia is probably likely to win Toronto, but I would love to see. I would be really excited to see if someone had some crazy sauce that could hang with Lugia and the field. I think that's the hardest part with these sort of yeah. counter decks, is hanging with the field at large. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, only time will tell. Good luck to both of us. If you see us here in Toronto, make sure to say hey. 
You can also find us on social media over at Twitter. I am at, at RealJohnWalter. Riley is at SmilesWithRiles. You can also find the podcast at Tag Team Pokemon. We also stream. Twitch.tv slash Munner is where we stream the podcast every week, every Wednesday night. And I have my own Twitch channel, which after after our hosting's done, hey, you know, probably gonna probably gonna ramp back up production. Time to rally, yeah. Twitch.tv slash Flex Daddy Righteous. Thank you all so much to list for listening this week, and we will catch you next time. Peace. See ya.